Project. Thanks for joining us. Um, we had an awesome show today. We talked a little bit about Haiti. I know that last podcast I mentioned that we might be able to record from Haiti, and that wasn't the case. We weren't able to do it. It was just a combination of not enough time and not enough uh, resources. So we continued our podcast this week and talked a little bit about Haiti and uh, just how it affects us at home here. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm kind of sick. Um, anyways, uh, it's uh, Matt, myself, and James this week, and uh, I hope you enjoy listening and talk to you next week. Bye. to talk about missions and uh, why we go on missions. And while I was there, um, we, or where we were there, we had a discussion of most people supported uh, us going to Haiti. And, uh, but there was the 0.01% that kind of did get a little bit of pushback. Like we, it's, it's too much of a task, which or it's too big of a uh, catastrophe that we really couldn't do much help. What is, what is a bunch of uh, people going to do for seven days? How can they make a difference? Um, what, Matt, what would your initial response to, I mean, it's a pretty easy question, but what would be your initial response if someone did say that to you? Or if they have. <laughs> well, I have heard. I have heard that. I've even heard more. Like, look at all the billions of dollars that's been poured into Haiti, and, and nothing good has really come mm. of it. And people get cynical sometimes that you're wasting your time and your efforts uh, in, with people that don't really want your help in the first place. They just want your your money. Um, and I have had people discuss that with me. But what I like about the what we accomplished in Haiti is that we kind of circumvented that whole process. We didn't allow any of our money to go through the corrupt government there that might intercept it at some point. Um, we didn't we didn't try and um, raise uh, to or we tried to avoid too much attention, so we weren't having to deal with you know people. Um, that might have tried to intimidate us or take a bribe or take a cut or something. We went straight to the people that are actually making a difference on the ground in Haiti, uh, which is the church and the people motivated with a heart of compassion uh, to see something good come out of a disaster. And John Booker, who's on the ground there, was saying how the people of Haiti on the street, uh, those that you talk to that are living their lives in the middle of the mess and hoping that things will get better. Uh, they're starting to change their memory of the earthquake. And obviously it was a very traumatic event, but at the same time, people are beginning to talk more about the influence that the church has had since the earthquake and how it's sparked, uh, we, I guess revival would be the word we would use that would describe it best, how that traumatic event has actually created uh, the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring radical change to the people. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what encourages me. That's why I, you know, I won't feel led to, to help out in a situation. It's because I know that while things may look impossible and governments and people may, may not want to make a difference, I know the power that there is in the Holy Spirit to transform people's lives, transform their situations. 
And if you work with the Holy Spirit, partnering with what he's trying to do, then incredible things happen. And people's lives are changed forever as a result. So even in seven days, we were able to do work that will transform the lives of, of a church, of an orphanage, of 15 girls who had nothing before we came. And they will remember even just the short amount of time that we spent with them. They will remember for a lifetime the impact that, that we had. And then on top of that, the change that happened in the heart of every person that went on that trip will have huge and lasting significance on our church community here now that we come home. Um, and we're going to continue to have the same attitude and the same uh, demonstrate the same character and also demonstrate the same trust in the Holy Spirit to see our local community transformed by the Spirit of God as well. So I don't see any downside to what we did. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. it, isn't that a, uh, I think it was Mary Grace that was saying that it's a tactic of the enemy to feel overwhelmed or something along those lines to make you feel like you can't make a difference. I think there, she was speaking to John and Debbie when she was saying, is that, is that, um, I don't want to say is that true because it's, I obviously I think it's true, but is there truth in that? Can you expand on that at all? Well, my response to that would be that, yes, the enemy who seeks to deceive us will make us think that there's no point doing anything because we can't make a, a difference. But there's a certain honesty to that as well, mm -hmm. a realization we have that, that one person or one small group of people can't make a difference. But with God, all things are possible. And when you allow yourself to follow in obedience to whatever He is saying, uh, you find that it's not you that's changing things, but it's God working through you and using your efforts can do amazing things. Mm. So there, there is a truth to that, but the, the way out of that is to acknowledge it as the truth and be obedient to whatever God says. Mm -hmm. uh, the... <clears throat> Sunday morning as I listened to different people sharing about their experience in Haiti, it helped me connect with something about our Haiti project that I kind of knew before, you know, it's one of those, I kind of know this in my heart, but <clears throat> I connected with it in a more visceral way, hearing them sharing their stories <clears throat> and seeing them tear up, you know, because I could tell there were a lot of God moments, you know, and I was just thinking about the human uh, uh, connection component of the Haiti trip. There might be some that would say, you know, of course you could say, okay, uh, 13 people or 11 people from our church, or thir total of 13 people went there at a cost of, you know, 1000 to $1,500 a piece. So that's, you know, at least $13,000 what you know would our money be better spent if we spent the if we sent the thirteen thousand dollars down and hired Haitians to build and varnish and finish beds you know for the orphanage but as I listen to people share, I realize it would miss all of that component of the relationship and because the kingdom of God is built on relationship. First of all, a kingdom, uh, first of all, our relationship with God and our relationship with others, those little girls would have never experienced 
uh, several men picking them up and putting them up on the <clears throat> up on the top bunk and taking them down up and down and up and down and up and down and the joy and glee of that they would never experience the crazy little dance <laughs> that the brother did from New Hampshire you know that, that they're just there there are the hugs and the love and the smiles and the songs and the voices and the you know as you know, uh when I was watching it, watching uh, Anthony Bourdain over in Haiti, or when I was watching the thing on Sean Penn over there, Blancs, their word for yeah. white people, and you guys mentioned it, stand out there. So it does create a little bit of a something that focuses on these are people. And the uh, our kingdom perspective is more than the bunk bed, it's the child person sleeping on the bunk bed you know more than putting up the tent for the family of five it's the it's the family of five you know it's it's we're making that human connection and i think that for people who are, are wondering about well are our are our dollars being spent the very best way i think that the component of the human being taking it down there and taking their whole life down there and building a connection is the most important thing yeah I know that some of the ladies that went to the tent camp, the refugee camp down there, all they could talk about afterwards was that they met a mother who had just given birth to a little girl in the tent camp. And there were two or three ladies that were just able to pick up and hold that, that little baby. And I know that that moment, <laughs> they will never forget. Yeah. And that mother will never forget just that con connection that was made yeah. uh, on a personal level. Yeah. That was worth for some of those ladies from our church. It was worth the price of of the plane ticket alone yeah. to be able to have that experience. Yeah, that's the price of admission. And I know you said it. I just want to say it in a different way. But the fact that every single one of those people that shared, and then the ones who will be sharing next week, their lives were so impacted that they're already saying. And I heard several of them say exactly this. I'm looking around now where I live, where I'm here, that I was changed so much in Haiti that now I'm looking at things differently. I'm looking at people differently. I'm looking around here for opportunities to share and to minister the same way I did in Haiti. They made that paradigm shift of moving from, I don't have to go to Haiti to serve. I just have to be me every place I'm at, whether I'm in Haiti or here. And I saw, I really heard that out of the hearts of the people that were sharing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I heard the same thing. And uh, it reminds me of the MasterCard commercial. It's priceless. You know, you can't yeah. really put a price on that. Yeah. Um, which kind of, in, in a roundabout way, leads to my next question. What, and, and to back up, actually, not a question yet, but I think that anybody listening to this podcast uh, that wasn't there on Sunday or may not know about the whole uh, Haiti trip might want to listen to the Sunday's podcast first. Uh, yeah, that's a great point, yeah. And you can find that on the Cornerstone Facebook page. But my uh, question, it sounds maybe a little elementary, but I know it's not. What would be your definition of missions? What is missions? What is a missions trip? Does it mean you have to go to another country? I know that's an obvious answer, but um, 
also it reminds me of the book Radical that we read. How I remember there was a there was a quote in there that really stuck out that it's a commandment of Jesus to go and uh, make disciples or what not a suggestion. It? Yeah, it's not it's a commandment. It was, a, it was a commandment, not a suggestion. So, but what I, I mean, what would be each of yours personal? In your own words, what what is missions to you? Well, what I try and correct in my own thinking is that having grown up in the church, missions tends to be a trip that you take for however long you agree to go outside of your normal like sphere of, of influence in order to help somebody on the other side of the world or the other side of the country or help after a disaster or... Um, you know, smuggle Bibles into China or something like that. You know, yeah. that's that's always been missions traditionally, and it's taken a few individuals to get that that heart to want to take that risk to go overseas. But really, missions is is much more than that. It it means just to me, I guess, being on a mission, having been commissioned by by Jesus. We have a purpose about our lives, our daily lives, and that purpose is that we reach out with the gospel to everybody around us. And so it is not just limited to a specific trip that you take. I believe in the principle of being missionally minded, that everywhere we go, we have the chance to encounter somebody that needs to hear the gospel, needs the love of Christ, um, needs to hear about the joy and the comfort that we have in Jesus because of what they're going through at any given moment. And so that would be my hope for missions is that every member of our church feels that every time they walk outside their door, there's a chance they could encounter somebody that needs Christ and that they walk with that, that purpose in mind. And um, it, that's why we've been talking about not overlooking the people around us that you know, we're so familiar with, we stop seeing them after a while. We don't recognize them as people that that need that need help. They have a story, and they have they have hurt in their life, and they have struggles that they're dealing with. And through it all, they can walk through it with the strength of Jesus on their side mm-hmm. to help them through it. And and I I don't want to live my life any longer denying that comfort yeah. that I've discovered, yeah. denying it to other people. Yeah, I think the word mission is closely related to the great commission. You know, the thing that which we all refer to as the great commission, which is go go into the world and preach the gospel. But just the idea that it's a co-mission with God. In other words, it's, it's something that God is telling us to do. It's the mission at hand. It's what he's telling us to do. But we do it in coordinated effort with God. It's a co-mission that we're working together with him. Uh, he told us to occupy till he comes. He told us to go and that, you know, when you look at the, uh, the original languages, it has to do with uh, what Jesus did. He dwelt among the people and that's what we're called to do. We're called to go and to live our lives among people, among them. And so that People will see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. They, we will be like a light set on a hill. We will be like leaven that permeates the loaf of society until it rises. We will be uh, like a light set upon a hill. We will be all those metaphorical things that 
are more than a metaphor. It's an, if, if Jesus wasn't just saying, here, I want you to metaphorically live your lives. He was wanting us to literally live our lives dwelling among people and living among people. And we go through the same hard things that other people go through, but we have Jesus with us. We have his help with us. And as we simply tell our story of how we made it through with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the help of God, other people, their interest is piqued and they want to know more about this Holy Spirit and more about this Jesus. And that's what mission is in my mind. And so, there, but there is a reason to go on a missions trip as well, because it brings that whole perspective into sharp focus for the people that go. And they recognize it. Just being outside of their normal area, they begin to recognize what they've overlooked or what they've missed. And when you go to a place like Haiti that's so desperately in need, you know that you will discover the presence of God there, because where people need him most, he'll be most readily available to them. Yeah. He's there on the side of the poor and the oppressed and the, the downtrodden. Yeah. So you know you'll yeah. find the Spirit of God already there. And then our job now is to capitalize on what we have discovered and allow yeah. that same presence of God to permeate our community as yeah. well. And I think Jesus specifically mentioned that by saying, uh, go therefore into the world, and he's talking about you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you look at the geographical implication of that, they're concentric rings of influence. They're concentric rings going out. Like if you were to toss a rock out into a pond, you would see those rings moving outward from the place of the impact of the rock. They understood that Jerusalem was their close area, close in area. Judea and Samaria was branching out and even to the uttermost parts of the world because the gospel had not really been taken outside of, for 30 years, the gospel was only preached to Jew, Jewish people. It wasn't until 30 years later uh, that God revealed it was to go to the Gentiles as well through the salvation of Paul the Apostle and you know, Cornelius and all those things that happened. It was it was kind of a foreign uh, concept. People didn't understand it, even as Jesus spoke it. It took a while for them to get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I found the uh, portion of the book in Radical that uh, I was talking about earlier, and just just kind of after that, I want to read it just for a second and get your guys' thoughts. Kind of goes along the line with what you were saying, Matt, earlier. Uh, it's, it's titled, What About the Needs Here? Maybe the most common response that arises among Christians regarding the global pur purpose of God is, What about the needs here? Why do we need to be involved in other nations when there are so many needs in our nation? Among Christians in Birmingham, where the author pastors a church, I often hear this statement phrased something like this. I don't need to go to all nations because God's given me a heart giving me a heart for the United States. Others might say, God has given me a heart for Birmingham, uh, the city where he's from. These statements sound spiritual, but when we probe deeper, they seem more like smoke screens. They're smoke screens because most of us really are not very concerned about the needs right around us. That doesn't include us, because we are. <laughs> most Christians rarely share the gospel, and most Christians' schedules are not heavily weighted to feeding the hungry, helping the sick, and strengthening the church in the neediest places in our country. But even if we were doing these things, we would still be overlooking a foundational biblical truth 
when we say our hearts are for the United States. As we have seen all over scripture, God's heart is for the world. So when we say we have a heart for the United States, we are admitting that we have a meager 5% of God's heart, and we are proud of it. When we say we have a heart for the city we live in, we confess that we have less than 1% of God's heart. Certainly there are great needs here, but we but must we insist on dividing the Great Commission into an either-or proposition? Who told us that we have to, had to choose to have a heart for the United States or have a heart for the world? Based on the purpose of God, we've seen in Scripture, shouldn't every Christian heart be ultimately consumed with how we make God's glory known in all the world? It goes on and on. But um, I know that sounds kind of harsh. I don't think it's harsh at all. But I, it's good. I like it. And it basically says, uh, what I, to me, is that you can do both. <laughs> you can, yeah. um, and as a church, we're committed to do everything that God calls us to. And there isn't any one person that can be in Haiti and in Phoenix and in you know, Joplin, Missouri yeah. at the same time. But as a church, we will guarantee that, that we will have an influence wherever God tells us to have an influence. Yeah. I think too, John, it's one of those, <clears throat> I think it's our Western cult and culturization. It's our Western train of thought that tends to break things down into, uh, an either slash or scenario. Whereas Eastern thought is more usually both and. And I think a lot of times when we read what Jesus said, for some reason we tend to put it into an either or scenario rather than a both and. And I think that's what you're talking about as you read this. It's, it's, it's yes, we should have a heart for our city. And yes, we should have a heart for our nation. But we also, according to God's uh, plan, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it's, a, it's not an either or, it's a both and scenario. And there's a huge danger in ever imposing a limit in your life yeah. on what God has said for you to do. Yeah. I think that, I think that anytime you say, well, my calling is to, you know, this city, this location, the more firmly you hold on to that, I would hesitate to say this you know, to any one person, but I, my warning would be the more firmly you try and hold on to that, the more you might be missing something else that, that God is doing or wants to do in your life. And we should never impose a boundary on what God is able to do in or through our lives. Otherwise, we don't trust trust His ability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 the history of God is that He takes people much further than they ever thought they could go by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to ever limit God and pose a, a boundary on where, what he can do. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's an idea kind of going in the same direction. What do you, I got in a conversation with a friend. What do you think about bringing non-believers on missions trips? Is that, I'm all for it. Yeah. I just thought it'd be really, and that kind of leads into my next question. Is it still a missions trip? And this may sound, I mean, some people may take offense to this, but uh, disclaimer. Is it still a missions trip? Say you go, like remember we were talking about, what if we just went and cleaned up the park? Because we're not technically 
giving out tracts or saying God loves you or we're a church and, you know, have a sign on our back, but just showing God's love, could that be considered a mission trip, even though you're not uh, technically making disciples? You're just showing God's love. Well, ultimately, the goal of missions is to make disciples. The goal of the Great Commission is to make disciples, baptizing yes. people. Um, and so we try and keep that in mind. But at the same time, if, if we are missionally minded and if we see that every interaction we have in the world around us is with purpose, the purpose being that the name of Jesus is glorified and lifted up, then you can engage in any activity that was beneficial, that was positive, that had an impact. And whether you get recognized for doing it or not, Jesus will still be glorified through your actions. So I don't see that there's any problem with any of that or calling it a missions trip. I, I wish that we thought going to work every day was a missions trip. Yeah. You know, I wish that we thought going to pick up our groceries at the supermarket was a missions trip because then we'd always be ready for the encounter that God wants us to have there. Be ready to then go to the next step of making disciples. So I would say, I, I met recently a lady, fascinating lady. She's a, a shaman. It's a self-professed shaman. <laughs> In the, I think it was the Lakota tribe. Great lady to talk to, really interesting. She has a mission to build urban gardens in the Phoenix area to provide projects for people to become a little more self-sufficient. We have pretty much the same vision here at the church. So I'm talking to this lady wondering how we could work together. Now, ultimately, my purpose in doing that might be different than hers, but why not take advantage of her resources and her experience in order to, to help you know, what, what we're doing and partner with people? And here's what I think, too. I may never meet a person like that again. And if I were to overreact and say, oh, her beliefs are too incompatible with mine, I can't have anything to do with her, I might miss a chance to witness to her and be an example to her at some point down in the line in the future. You know what I mean? It's like we can impose a boundary, a limitation on what God would have us do. And in the process, we might miss his ultimate purpose. Or who God would use. I mean, I, I believe that God uses... Christians and non-Christians, we're all his children. Well, yeah, because God is at work inside and outside the church, you know, through all people, whoever might be willing. And if it's, if it's good, so, yeah, it can, it can be, you know, it can be God's, God's purpose. And if a Christian is not stepping up to the plate to make something happen, isn't it possible God could use whoever was willing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm just, I'm in that mode right now. Maybe it's because I've been <laughs> in Haiti. Maybe, maybe, you know, it's because of what God's doing. But, you know, I'm just, I'm ready to do whatever it takes, work with whoever is willing to be worked with, yeah. and trust in the Holy Spirit to accomplish what the Spirit sets out to accomplish. Yeah. I like yeah. your mode. <laughs> yeah. And your shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you that are listening... <clears throat> Uh, and saying, yeah, I want to be in that same mode, Matt. Matt came prepared today, and you can't see this. We, I wish we could get a picture of it, but Matt is wearing the shirt of many colors today. It's very beautiful, <laughs> and John and I both have been smitten by it because it's so 
It's it's got so much awesome sauce on it. It's <laughs> incredible. It's the most beautiful shirt you've ever oh, seen in your whole thanks, life. Guys. It is incredible. the best thing that's happened to me today. Yeah, <laughs> I got out of the car and just thought, "Oh my god!" I, I did the same thing. <laughs> I just thought, "OMG!" I love that shirt. LOL. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh, thanks. It's a, it's a great mode to be in. We'll post a picture. <laughs> we have to post a picture now. Uh, I, I love this topic that we're on right now, the idea of working side-by-side side with other people for the good of the community or for the good of people. There are so many programs out there, St. Mary's Food Bank or Habitat for Humanity, or, you know, there are just so many organizations they don't. They're some are faith based and some are not faith based, and it doesn't really matter what they care about are people. Mm-hmm. And it's like if we as Christians care about people, then wouldn't we partner together with anybody who also has that same vision to care for people? And it just struck me as you said that, man. That uh, I may never meet a person like that ever again who has that same vision for community gardens, for helping people become more sufficient and proficient with gathering of food. And it's just like that is incredible. And as a musician, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is starting with George Harrison and the concert for Bangladesh. It was one of the very first humongous humanitarian uh, events that was put on by a mu- by musician is because he had been to India and had this heart for the starving people, the starving children in, in India, and said, I'm going to gather a bunch of my friends together. And he gathered together this team of all-stars to put on these concerts in New York City, Madison Square Garden, to raise money for Bangladesh. And it was fraught with all kinds of problems, you know, because oftentimes pioneering, you know, involves Indians with arrows, you know, and, and it just, it was crazy, but it started, I see that as starting an entire movement. And now there's Bono from U2 and there's, there's, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of things going on that way. And as a musician, I'm challenged the same way. It's like, I'll partner with any musician who will help raise money for Habitat for Humanity or shelter for people or food for people. And Do they necessarily have to be Christian? No, they don't. Because we can work together for the same goal because we, as we share our songs and as we share our, or if there's not music, take it out of the music realm. If we're working on gardens together, for example, just in the toiling of soil and working together, we'll tell our stories. And that's what God has called us to do. If we just simply tell our stories, they will be filled with the faithfulness of God. Our stories will be laced with the love of God. Our, our, our stories will be uh, filled with examples of how God has saved us and delivered us and healed us, which everybody wants. Yeah. Everybody wants love. Everybody wants to be whole. Everybody wants to be healed. And I think it creates all kinds of, it, it's almost like a more vertical market. You know, to use marketing terms, rather than a horizontal market, just trying to reach the masses, it becomes a vertical market where you're going, you're, uh, rather than a shotgunning approach, you have a rifle laser uh, uh, approach to working with people. Yeah. And it gives you an opportunity to really interface with people that are excited and passionate about the same thing you are. Mm-hmm. And that's actually part of our philosophy as, as leaders in, in this church or as, as what we're trying to do is 
to welcome and encourage the people that we consider like first followers, the ones that get up and get what you're trying to do and want to be a part of it. So all these, all these people that are skeptical about the missions trip, you know, let them be skeptical. They're not the ones that you're going to be able to use. But if, if you can do that, if you can demonstrate to them, you know, maybe next time the, their attitude will be different. But if we always are willing to, our, our first goal is to work with the people that are willing to help us, then we'll be effective. Yeah. Instead of trying to cajole people or convince them. Yeah. You know, that they'll come around when they see the impact, when they see the effect of what we're doing. Yeah. Would you be willing to say, just thinking about missions and talking about it, especially the definition of what missions is, um, would it, to me, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like missions is synonymous with Christian. Uh, when you become a follower of Christ, a Christian, should you or are you automatically becoming a missionary? I think yes. I think so. Can we rename Haiti Trips? <laughs> <laughs> Christian Trips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just doing what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. Part of the... Yeah. I, mean, it, I, I mean, I don't know if that's far-fetched, but if the definition of missions is doing what Jesus tells us to do and making disciples... Well, the, the gospel spread... Yes, there were times when Jesus was standing on a hillside talking to thousands of people and people were seeing the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. But the early church movement mostly spread from house to house as small groups of people met under trees or out in public squares or uh, or actually uses the term you know, in, the, in the temple courts and from house to house. And one of the Greek terms for house is this Greek word oikos, which means household. In other words, it's talking about a little circle of people. So, in other words, when I got saved or when you got saved, uh, there was a time where uh, you were part of a group of people, uh, a people group. And it could be, you know, your partying group or your going to school group or your people live in your neighborhood or apartment complex. Anyway, there was a group of people that you were around. When the, when the Holy Spirit changes us and the Word of God changes us, sometimes just radical change happens. That first mission and that first mission field is that people group that's around us. Right. That's awesome. It's just, uh, missionaries, we're all missionaries. <laughs> I don't know if that's kind of an epiphany, but we're all missionaries. And that puts it in perspective that everything we do, the people, because we are the church, we are the missionary. Uh, when you go to work, you're a missionary to the people around you. When you go to the grocery store, you're a missionary. When you go to a baseball game, you're the missionary. Yeah. So... So, coming back from the missions trip from Haiti uh, gave, gave me and I know some other members of the team perspective on when we were in Haiti, it was real easy to identify what we needed to do or just tasks that needed to be completed 
as part of the the missions trip. Um, Now that we're back home, and I when Gina spoke on Sunday, uh, she mentioned, "What do I do now? What or what?" In in some some yeah, or what do I do here? Yeah, now that I'm home. What do I do here? Now that we're home, and um, do you guys have any good ideas on what we can do here at home? Uh, for local missions in our community, and uh, what does Cornerstone Church? What's the what's the future look like for our community and missions? Well, one of the things that uh, we Elizabeth and I have been talking about as musicians are serving with the gift that God has given us, or or music, and we're approaching the holiday season. Uh, coming up, uh, we're today's November first, and and so now we start marching towards Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and and it's always a time when uh, here in Arizona the weather has turned a little nicer, and so people are outside now. And in fact, we've already participated in several events, community events, uh, uh, community block parties, and get-togethers where. We just go out and we take a little team of musicians and we sing and play and uh, all under kind of the guise of uh, uh, I will sing a new song unto the Lord and people will will see that and they'll they'll have a a respect for God and they'll put their trust in God. And uh, that's one of the things that we're gearing up for. Uh, One of the things that we've done in the past and we want to try this year is inviting people to come out and just learn some Christmas songs and some worship songs and just some songs that we could go out into the community and sing because there's always opportunities, uh, especially around the holidays. People are looking for musicians that will come and do Christmas carols uh, to create that feeling of the season. Well, that's one way that we can go serve. We can go serve and just go out and be kind and nice to people and sing and present our music and and before and after, you have time to talk to people. People say, oh, what are you guys getting ready to do? Well, we're getting ready to sing. Well, where are you guys from? And it just gives a lot of opportunities to talk and share and tell our story and to sing our song before God. That's one of the projects that we're talking about uh, in the future. And the key, the key thing you said there was that with the, the skills and the abilities that God had given you, you're utilizing them for a purpose. And... And I think that's what everybody has to come to, is that what God has given them everything that they need to do what he tells them to do. And we hesitate in this church in telling people what they should be doing, you know, what their mission is or how they can get involved. We're trying to encourage people, hey, you can hear from God, and God has given you abilities, and you can use those for a reason with a purpose on a mission as it were and so i would encourage people that's where things start so like james and elizabeth this is what they do this is who they are god has given them an assignment to utilize their skills to accomplish a goal and every one of us can find ourselves in that position and there's a couple things that i think are really important number one Say yes to things. Like, don't turn opportunities down because you never know where it might lead. And it may not be the first thing that you do where you discover um, God's purpose or God's mission for you. But you have to get moving. You have to start something. And God will direct you where he wants you to be. If you just sit still and do nothing, 
you're not very effective, not yeah. very useful. But having created some momentum in your life or some movement, getting up and starting to move, once you're moving, you can be turned in the right direction. Yeah. And Jonathan Rusk spoke about that last Sunday, about complacency being the killer in our lives. If you don't actually get up and start to do something, you will become complacent. It will set in, and then the moment will be lost. And what God has told you to do, he'll have somebody else do it instead. Because his purpose will prevail. And you will have just missed out on an opportunity. And you do that over and over again. If you're complacent, if you don't take action, if you don't do something over and over again, you become hardened to even hearing the voice of God speaking to you. And it becomes that much harder. You have to go to a place like Haiti to break down some of those barriers again. Some of those walls that you've thrown up in order for God to be ready to use you. Yeah. Uh, Gene, I don't know if you're listening to this, but we keep referring to you. One of the things that you said was you realized as you were sanding and varnishing those bunk beds that this is what God had placed you on the earth to do, to do something, some kind of physical activity to help and to bless other people. And I think that's one of the uh, most important uh, principles in going go into the world uh matt recently in one of your messages about the kingdom of god you were talking about faith the faith component and you were uh saying that we don't need more faith we just need to use the faith that we have and so it's the same way with our skills and abilities and talents and those kinds of things we don't need more equipment we don't need more talent we don't we just need to use the uh, what we have and if we'll be faithful to sow a seed with what we have then god will give us more and more opportunities uh, because we're using what god has given us and one of the things that as we're talking with people who want to maybe get involved with uh, music outreaches into the community we're going to let people know that you don't have to be polished And it doesn't have to be perfect because it's not a performance. It's more about having hearts that are prepared and hearts that are polished and hearts that are right before God. Because that's what's going to come out as we speak and sing and share our lives and share the love of God with people. And it's fun. (laughs) Plus, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is fun. There's, I mean... When you do, when there's something very godly, very Holy Spirit oriented in reaching out to somebody, and it, it's a good feeling. Yeah. You, you, I find a lot of times I take more away than I think gives away. Yeah. I get, I, I feel like I, I receive more. Okay. So. Yeah. And looking ahead, there's some other things coming up just to give people ideas, you know, just to to sow seeds. But I know people that are um, organizing right now to to gather food to be able to bless families over the holiday season that may not have the money to, you know, to buy food. So there's projects like that. I mean, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't, you don't have to, you know, be a musician to... To yeah. join in with what God is doing. Yeah. You have to see that there are people around you uh, just on the street as you go out of your door that, that need help. And you can offer uh, help with that. Just this past Sunday night, we had a event at the church, a trunk or treat party. 
and um, it was a great event, and it was it was swarming with with kids that were not part of the church, but but they all need our love and our attention and and our our help. And in, in the holiday season coming up, you know that's an, an area where somebody could be excited about doing something and taking interest in providing for them too. You know, there's just the possibilities are endless. We have somehow become a little myopic in our vision of our local neighborhood where and it, it may not be entirely our fault it might be that we get pushed back and we get we yeah. get criticism and we get bad attitudes and all of that but if you give up trying things you you don't discover that hidden treasure that suddenly yeah. jumps out if you you know if you get worn out the first couple of times you do something and it doesn't work quite the way that you yeah. you like you you miss out on the next person who was the one that you were preparing for yeah yeah, it's true. And I love the uh, the concept that we've been batting around a little bit lately. Of it takes 50,000 hours of doing something to get any good at it. And it's really kind of the same way with just obeying God. It takes a whole lot of obeying God in hard situations to start getting good at that. Or it takes a whole lot of reaching out to others around you until after a while you start getting at least more fluent in it and more comfortable with it. It just takes doing things a lot of times, putting on events and trying different things. And, okay, so maybe we'll make some adjustments. And maybe there's certain things that we would do different because, but we got out there and we tried. And it wasn't perfect, and, but it was awesome in its own right. It was awesome in its own way. Yeah. You know? yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done. And you don't have to feel the pressure of of winning that person to Christ, yeah. you know, every second that you're with them. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they feel that, or you have to drag them into church with you. That's not the point. The point is to yeah. go and serve and to create yeah. a relationship and to build something over time. And if you can meet someone's physical need, then maybe yeah. down the road they'll trust you with their spiritual needs too. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it takes time and it takes an investment and you have to be willing to commit yeah. To whatever the project is. Yeah. We've kind of touched on this before, but in this context, it's worth saying again that uh, somehow, somewhere, evangelism seminars and conferences have kind of ruined us a little bit because we get this, I've got to get that notch on my belt. You know, I've got to, uh, how many people, have, to say how many, prayer. yeah, how many people have you won to Christ? How many people have you led down the Romans road? Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10, 9 and 10. You know, and so we get that in our in our mind. Whereas if we're thinking long range, which the kingdom of God is always long range, and we're building relationship with people, whether they're saved or not, uh, whether they're notorious sinners, as one of the Bible verses I was reading this morning, it was talking about, uh, going out into the highways and byways and inviting to the banquet uh, uh, notorious sinners and tax collectors. And it's interesting that that parable, Jesus is talking about the master preparing a banquet and inviting people to come. And people were so busy with their oxen or being married or that there was all different kinds of reasons. They gave excuses why they couldn't come to that. And, you know, every time we gather together, whether it's two or three or more, it's a banqueting table because God's presence is there before us. The bread of, of God is there. The wine of the Holy Spirit is flowing. It's a banquet every single time we gather together. 
And it said that the master got upset and he said, okay, these people won't come. And he, Jesus was obviously speaking against the Pharisees and the religious of the day that were not coming into the kingdom of God. He says, so go out to those who know not of it. And then he told three parables about lost things. He told the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And the bottom line is that God cares about lost people. He cares about lost things. And all we do is throw the banquet. And I think that that's our evangelism bent is we, we throw the banquet. We put stuff out there and we invite people to come and we build a relationship with them, telling our stories, letting them feel the love because no man comes but the Spirit of God draw him or her. And we plant and we water, but God alone gives the increase. I'm, I'm the type of person who, uh, remember when I first, this is my second trip to Haiti, and just using that as an example, of course. Uh, my first first trip, I, I remember coming back and regretting not being more, you know, approach more people, being shy, not being bold enough. Um, and I'm not the type of person that, that goes around, Hey, who are you? What's your name? You know, like, I don't know how to do that. I mean, I could do that, but it's out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, even with music, sometimes I, even though I know how to play and how to sing, like sometimes I, I get uncomfortable and I, I tend to, I know I'm missing opportunities mm. on, you know, on hindsight. And so on this trip, uh, first night I really prayed for boldness to be able to go around and kind of step out of my comfort zone and talk to people and maybe not much as like Jason and Mary Grace those guys like we were just naturals yeah yeah I, I wish I could be be that bold I really do I wish I could be that bold but like you said 50,000 hours or whatever, yeah. and I need to work on it but I mean maybe there's someone out there that's listening and that that's something good to pray for. If you have a heart to help people, it's going to take some stepping out of your comfort zone, going around playing music or just approaching people or you know, stopping the car to ask that person if you can help change a tire or give them $5. You know, sometimes that, for some people, it's not the money. It's the, what are they going to say to me? You know, are they going to think I'm crazy? Um, whether it's in Haiti or whether it's on Dunlap, you know, it, 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 Boldness is important, and uh, so I think I think that I'm just trying to identify that. You know, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and you may never get to the stage where you can. You're the radical evangelist that you know that can instantly get into the deep conversation with someone the first time they meet. You know, not everybody is is gifted that way, but we can all become better at what we do and more confident in Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives and better able to use the gifts that he's given us to communicate that yeah, to yeah. people. Yeah, what a mistake, what a trap that we feel like we have to understand the ins and outs of hermeneutics and homiletics and Bible apologetics in case we get into that argument about the kingdom of God with someone who knows more than we do. Well, as they say in the South, the tasting's in the pudding, and it's like it's it's really about sharing what we've experienced in God because you can't argue with experience. 
you can uh, you can argue trivia and words and and I think once you get into that place where you're arguing with someone about the kingdom of God, you've kind of lost the argument anyway. It's really all about just sharing the love of Jesus and answering their questions as the Holy Spirit puts that maybe little doubt in their heart or wonderment or I mean, when we came to Jesus Christ, didn't each one of us before we knew Christ is like, yeah, whatever. And then all of a sudden there was one day, it was like that little seed of faith somehow got planted in there. And we just thought, wow, maybe Jesus is real. Or there was just something that it was inside of us that we all of a sudden were open and receptive to it. That was the planting of the Holy Spirit. That was seeds that people had planted and watered and stuff all of a sudden began became, uh, coming right. into fruition. And that's what we look for. And it's not going to happen in every conversation. The moment of fruition is not going to happen in every conversation. You might be planting or watering. Yeah. And remember when Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs to practice what they had been learning. And he told them, if, you, if they don't receive what you're saying, then, then move on. Yeah. Move on to the next, the next town or yeah. You yeah. Know, the next city. And that, that's an interesting point. Or the same, the same principle is applied in that parable of the master throwing the banquet, the people he wanted to come didn't show up. Yeah. But he didn't then like crawl into a hole in his room and cry because his friends didn't come. He went yeah. out and got somebody yeah. else. He didn't, you know, and he was active and, and compelled others yeah. to come instead. Yeah. Yeah. And they got to experience the, the feast. And so, and we, we have to have that same attitude. We'll try anything and we won't give up if it doesn't work yeah. first time because I can guarantee it will not always work first time. So yeah. how yeah. are we going to respond? Go on, go to the next person. And when you discover the one that that responds with great joy, receives what you're yeah. saying, then then invest in that person. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that's kind of on the cutting edge of missions movements right now, uh, it's mostly happening in third world countries where the gospel is expanding at a high rate uh, of speed one of the principles they use is Jesus said, go into a city and find the person of peace. And what he was talking about was finding the hospitable person because he knew that the way the gospel would spread was in that, that oikos, the Greek word for household. It would expand in that household of people. And so what they did was he told them to go and to find that person who is hospitable. So it's the same way with us as we're, out and about or here or there will find that one person who's receptive. And so you just, you focus there. You focus on there with the idea that you'll be able to impart something to them that they will then be able to impart to their first mission field, which is their household. And that's the way the gospel spreads. And that's why Jesus said, go and stay at that house. Don't be moving around other houses. Stay at that one until the gospel is actually planted. Right. So that's an interesting concept. And it's like, we've got to learn how to do that here. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it looks like here, but it looks something like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You belong to me.